With me now to the Word of God in Acts 2. We're going to read there Peter's Pentecost sermon beginning with verse 14 and ending with verse 36. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, 
he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And that's as far as we read. The text for this morning's sermon is verse 24 of Acts 2. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. I think you all know the words of the resurrection hymn. Death could not keep his prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. We have here in Acts 2, verse 24, something very much like that. In fact, those words of the hymn may have been taken from this verse. Death could not keep his prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. And in the text, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. The passage, my dear friends, draws a picture for us. Actually, two pictures. But we're going to start with one of them this morning. And that picture is drawn part of it in verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. That in connection with verse 24 draws the picture of a prison, a prison cell, 
No dungeon ever so deep and dark as this. No prison cell ever so cold and narrow as this. Death is described in these verses as a prison or a prison cell in which our Lord was confined and to which he was committed for three days. The Bible tells us in verse 23 that it was God who sent him to that prison cell. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God that will never, ever excuse the wickedness of those who crucified Christ. And Acts 2 verse 23 speaks of their wicked hands. But it was the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God that marched him off, if we may speak that way, from Gethsemane to the house of Annas, then to the palace of Caiaphas, then to the judgment hall of Pilate, to Golgotha, where he was executed, and finally to that prison cell of death. Strange story. No other criminal has ever been sent to prison after being executed. But that's the picture as it's drawn here. And it needs to be emphasized this morning that that was the work of God. that it was God who sent him to the place of execution and then to that prison cell that we call death. That was the work of God as judge. That's what we need to keep in mind here in verse 24 of Acts 2. God as judge sent his son first to be tried, then to be executed, and then, so strangely, then to that prison cell that we call death. You have to hear in the story of Christ's trial, the voice of God as judge. When the people 
howled for his blood. Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And you must understand that in spite of their wickedness and unbelief, God was speaking through them. And God himself as judge was saying of Christ, away with him, crucify him. And when Pilate finally passed sentence on Jesus and said, take ye him and crucify him, then God was speaking as judge through Pilate according to what Acts 2 verse 23 calls his determinate counsel and foreknowledge. And saying through Pilate, his appointed representative, take ye him and crucify him. And it was God then too who brought him to Golgotha and God as judge who confined him to that prison called death. Talked about that Friday night about the reason for that. That it was because, that was all because, God had made your sins and my sins his and dealt with those sins in the person of his dear only begotten son. And that's where verse 24 continues to draw the picture of Christ in prison, having committed him to that prison cell, just as the hymn says with its bars, having committed him to that prison cell, it was God the judge who came to that prison cell to release our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. In his justice and in his righteousness, as judge, God raised Christ from the dead, thereby releasing him from death's prison. To understand that, you have to understand that the resurrection and the cross of Christ go together. There is no cross without the resurrection and no resurrection of Christ 
without the cross of Christ, they can never be separated, never in all the history of this world can they be separated. And that's the reason, too, why the apostles after Pentecost preached as Peter did on Pentecost, not only the death of Christ as an atonement and satisfaction for our sins, but the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection finishes the story of the cross. Or, to use what I've been saying, the resurrection draws the rest of the picture. That picture of Christ being released from death's prison. To understand that, you have to understand exactly what we were talking about a moment ago, that the resurrection is a work of God as judge. Now the Bible, when it talks about the resurrection of Christ, talks about it in two different ways. Sometimes it talks about the resurrection as something that Christ himself did. He rose from the dead. And then it's emphasizing what that Ham I quoted earlier emphasizes, that he is the victor over the dark domain of death and over all the powers of darkness. But here, and in other passages of Scripture, the Bible speaks of the resurrection as something that God did. God raised him up. God loosed the pains of death. And then the Bible is emphasizing the fact that the resurrection of Christ is an act of God as judge, as the same judge who sent Christ to the cross and to that prison cell of death. The resurrection, that's the heart of Acts 2 verse 24, is God as judge saying by releasing Christ from prison, that the crimes for which he died had been paid for. God's sentence was fulfilled. That there was nothing else to be paid. Maybe you could think of it this way, that on the cross, just before he died, 
Jesus himself said, It is finished. Referring to his own work of paying the penalty for our sins and rendering to God the obedience that we had never given to God. Paying what he had not stolen. But it's in the resurrection of Christ, and I think you can understand the importance of that, that God himself, as judge, as the judge before whom all must stand, God said, it is finished. And that's what Romans 4 verse 25 means too when it says that he was raised again for our justification. He accomplished our justification at the cross when he died for our sins and earned for us everlasting righteousness and peace But the resurrection is part of our justification because it's the proof that Christ's work on the cross was enough. That there was nothing more that would ever need to be done to pay for the sins of God's people, to pay for your sins and mine. That it was indeed not only by the word of our Savior, but by the word of the judge of heaven and earth, spoken in raising Christ from the dead, that it was indeed finished. And so you have that picture in the text of God coming to release from prison him who had been committed there on our behalf. There was no longer any need to hold him there. No longer any reason to keep him in that awful prison. And that's what those last words of verse 24 mean. It was not possible that he should be holden of it. I suppose if you didn't really think about the passage, you could come to the conclusion that that's a reference to the words of those hymns, that hymn, he tore the bars away. It was not possible that he should be holden of it. But that's not what the last part of verse 24 is talking about. That's true. He was, in his resurrection, triumphant over all the powers of death and sin and darkness. But that's not what Verse 24 is saying, verse 24 is saying, 
He could not remain in the grave and under the power of death because he had paid what was due to God for our sins. No criminal who has paid the penalty of his crimes may be held in prison. And in this case, it was our Lord Jesus Christ, the sinner on our behalf, who had paid to the full the price of our evil doing, who had to be released from death. It was not possible that he should be holden of it. And so God, the judge and the jailer came and raised Christ, his son, from the dead, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible for him to behold of it. Now I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, have heard that before. I've heard that the resurrection was not only something Christ himself did, but a work of God. I've heard the blessed truth that he was raised for our justification, proof of his finished work on the cross. I suppose you could say, although one hardly dares to say it, that if he had not paid for our sins on the cross, there would have been no reason for the resurrection. But in the mercy and grace and loving kindness of God towards us, he was raised forever the proof that our sins are covered by his blood, that his death made atonement for us, and that we have peace with God through him. That's the first picture that the passage draws for us, the picture of a prison. Now, empty. And forever empty through the work of our Savior. But then the word of God here, very abruptly, changes the picture. And we have something completely different to look at in Acts 2, verse 24. 
Instead of picturing a criminal being released from his prison cell, the Word of God pictures the birth of a child. Instead of a prison cell, a womb. Instead of the anguish and suffering of our Savior, the pangs of childbirth. That picture is drawn especially in that phrase, having loosed the pains of death. You can look it up for yourself in a good concordance. And if you do, you'll find that that word pains is not the ordinary word for pain or suffering, but a word that refers to travail, to the pain of childbirth. And that phrase then is saying, you have to put the other picture aside, and look at that picture now. The picture is saying that in the resurrection of Christ, saying that the resurrection of Christ was like a birth. And the Word of God says that, reminding us, first of all, that Christ is the firstborn from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, but telling us, and that's the second great truth in this passage, telling us that when God raised him from the dead, that prison cell that we call death, was changed so entirely and completely by the fact that Christ had been there and was released, was changed so completely that it's really not anymore a prison cell, but a womb. What had been, because of sin, man's sin, my sin, your sin, a prison cell, was now the womb out of which first Christ was born into everlasting glory and blessedness. And then also, the womb out of which you and I are born into life everlasting, into peace and blessedness with Christ, born again, born forever out of death and sin and guilt to be children of God as he is. 
That's the second picture that's drawn here. Beautiful picture, isn't it? First, that awful picture of a prison cell, but nevertheless, a happy picture in that that prison cell is now empty. But then that amazing change of pictures, which reminds us of what the resurrection of Christ has done to death and the grave, changing them forever from something awful and fearsome into something which may very well be described as the greatest blessing of God's people because it is through death and through the grave. As you so well know, that we go to be with our risen Lord, that we go to our home, our new home in heaven. It's through the grave and through death that we leave this life with all its toils and troubles, leave this life to enjoy those things that I have not seen or ear heard, the things that have never entered into the heart of man to understand, the things that God has prepared for those who love them. No longer a prison cell, but a wool. And that's what I want you to take with you as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior this morning. Take with you not only today, of course, because every day is really a celebration of the resurrection of Christ, as we'll see this evening. We look at that passage that says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. But I want you to take those truths with you today and every day, and especially when you have to go to the grave and face death yourself. Whether you have to go to the grave to bury a loved one there, or face death when finally God sends death, his servant, to take you to your eternal home, no matter, remember what the Word of God teaches us here. That what was the darkest dungeon, the coldest and narrowest of prison cells is now the womb out of which and through which you and I are born 
into life everlasting. And while you shed your tears at the loss that death brings, then rejoice too in what the Word of God says here. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And now, sing with all your heart. The words of Psalm 16. My soul in death's dark pet shall not be left by thee. Corruption thou wilt not permit thy Holy One to see. Life's pathway thou wilt show to thy right hand wilt guide where streams of pleasure ever flow and boundless joys abide. Those are Christ's words, first of all. We never overlooked that. But our words, too. As we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Because just as he died for us, so also he was raised from the dead on our behalf, as Romans 4, verse 25 has it, raised again for our justification. Amen. Merciful God, faithful God and Father, we thank Thee for the gospel good news, the resurrection of our Savior was crucified for our sins and raised again the third day for our justification. May we hold these truths in our hearts as we celebrate his resurrection today and hold them in our hearts as long as we live until that day comes when these vile bodies are raised and made like his glorious body so that we may be with him forever. Forgive whatever we have done amiss in speaking of these things hearing of them once again, and bless the remainder of the day with thy presence and spirit and grace that we may keep this day and every Lord's day when we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, that we may keep them holy until he comes again. In his name we pray, with the pardon of our sins, Amen.